Hi, I'm Pastor Corey, and you're listening to the Orange United Methodist Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, that wants to help you find your place in God's story. And we hope this sermon can guide you along that path. Visit orangemethodist.org to find out more information about location, service times, upcoming events, and ways to give. We hope you enjoy. morning we're going to look at the passages from verses 14 to 21 so I invite you now if you have your bible handy to open to Luke 4 and if you want to look at your phone or online you have so many options but to follow along with the words on the screen as well so here now God's word from Luke then Jesus filled with the power of the spirit returned to Galilee and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And then he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning, church. It is so good to, well, not see you this morning, but have you see me this morning. Um, I'm very excited to preach this morning and continue our sermon series on all things new. Um, And today we're going to be talking about having a new purpose. Um, One of my favorite hobbies is cooking. I just absolutely love to cook. Yes, it is also because I love to eat, but I promise it's not just the end product that makes me love cooking. It's the process, too. I find it calming to me, and I also uh, it makes me feel productive. I also, of course, love to share the food at the end and offer it as a sign of love and care to the people I share the meal with. And at this point, I think I'm pretty good. Um, that's not a plug for the Valentine's fundraiser. Actually, it is. Make sure you make your reservation, orangemethodist.org slash valentines. Um, but I've learned a hundred little lessons and tips over the years um, that have made me a better cook. Um, unfortunately, usually by doing something wrong and learning from it that way. Um, and something that happened a lot to me when I first started cooking was finding myself halfway through a recipe and thinking, wait, why did I just do that? And when am I going to do that one thing? And why doesn't my food in the pan match my description of the directions? My problem was that I would get the recipe, I would collect my ingredients, and then I would just start cooking. I never actually read the whole recipe first. I figured if I just did the steps in order, I'd end up with what I was supposed to. But that's not really how it works with cooking. Because even with the best recipe in the world, there are just too many other variables to cover everything. The cook has to know what they're trying to end up with and what it's going to take to get there. So, for example, when you're making, say, braised chicken thighs, the directions will probably say something like, 
Once the oil is shimmering, place the meat skin side down in the skillet for five to six minutes on medium high until golden brown. When you know the end goal, you know how to adjust if things aren't going quite to plan. When you know the end goal, you can read between the lines of the recipe. And that line in the recipe isn't just trying to get you to cook the first side of the chicken, it's also setting you up for the end goal. It's also rendering out the fat from the skin, it's helping you get that crisp skin, it's developing a fond in the bottom of the pan that will add extra flavor to your pan sauce. Because I know that end goal, the purpose of the steps, it helps me read between the lines of the recipe and adjust for the circumstances of my kitchen. I know not to use a non-stick skillet because I won't develop the fond and it can't go in the oven that I need to put it in in step number four. It tells me that since my burners are weak and I know it, I need to be around 7.5 on the heat to get that golden brown goodness, but I can't go to eight or else the fat won't render before the skin gets brown. Tells me if the chicken doesn't fit in the skillet, not to overcrowd the pan or else I won't get that crispy skin. And when I brown that second batch, I need to deglaze the pan, save what's there, and start over so the fawn doesn't burn and make my final sauce bitter. <laughs> brown the meat in the skillet for five to six seconds on medium high. There's a lot more to it than that. But if I don't understand the goal of the recipe, I have no chance of really getting there. I need to understand what the final dish is supposed to be and how each step of the recipe helps me get there. If you want to be a good cook, you need to know what the dish is, and you need to know the purpose of each step along the way. Okay, so I know I'm preaching about the Bible and not giving you a cooking lesson, <laughs> but in today's scripture, we see that Jesus, we see Jesus at the very beginning of his ministry. One of his first stops is his hometown, Nazareth, and in his sermon, he basically lays out what will be the thesis of his ministry. One of my favorite things about teaching the Bible to youth is putting context to the stories they've learned when they were younger. Um, Miss Diana and our children's volunteers do an amazing job teaching our kids about Noah and Abraham and Moses. What I love to do is to start to connect those dots so that they can understand how those three are not only related to one another, but also how they're connected to David and Jesus and Paul, all in one big story about God's love. Another context thing that usually blows the youth's mind as they gain a new perspective is an even smaller scale context, and that's of Jesus's entire life and ministry. It may kind of seem like a, well, duh, if you've thought about it before, but for many, especially our teenagers, they only hear about Jesus's life one lesson or one sermon at a time. It's almost like an old TV show in syndication where you've seen every episode but never in order. So instead of seeing Jesus's life as a whole where each story fits together, we may only know Jesus as the seemingly jumbled collection of teaching and miracles. But if that's the only way we know Jesus, we miss out on something really important. And that's that Jesus's ministry was planned out and purposeful. He had a recipe that he was following. He knew what he was aiming for, and he knew the steps he needed to take to get there. And his recipe was the way it was because of who Jesus was and the purpose for which he was sent. So let's put today's scripture in the context of Jesus's life. 
we'll start at the very beginning. Last month, we celebrated Jesus' birth at Christmas. And that whole story is really just in like two chapters across two gospels. And then we have one story of Jesus in the temple at age 12, learning at the feet of the rabbi. After that, we basically skip forward 20 years. So we don't have a lot of that beginning of Jesus's life. As much as I love emphasizing the context of Bible stories, I also love to emphasize Jesus's humanity. And that 20 years that we don't know a lot about was full of a lot (laughs) because we know that Jesus was both God and human. We know that in those 20 years that Jesus grew, that he learned, that he felt real emotions. He got hungry. He found an occupation. He did all of the human things. He formed a life. But then he determined that it was time for something new. Our scripture today is a part of a few chapters that describe that new beginning when Jesus determined it was time to begin his ministry, to really start cooking. Whatever Jesus did for those 20 years, he did, but now he's starting something new. And it is quickly made clear that it is not a ministry that he enters without thought. It's entered into with purpose and planning. Jesus sees the whole picture. He understands the end goal and how to get there. He has read the entire recipe first. Now, it is a bit of a mind-melting exercise to consider what Jesus knew or didn't know as he began his ministry. But as we read through the Gospels, I think we can get a pretty good idea of some of the things that Jesus knew. And one of the most important things, absolute most important things, was that he knew who he was. Jesus knew that he was the son of God. He knew that he was the Messiah, the anointed one who would bring salvation to all God's children. And because he knew who he was, he knew his end goal too. Who he was told him his purpose. It told him the dish that he was cooking. Finally, he knew what it would take to get there. He knew what people needed to hear, needed to experience. He knew it would be a difficult and contentious. He knew that it would be difficult and contentious, and that in the end, he would lose his life. He knew the general steps of the recipe. So he prepared. As Corey described a few weeks ago, first he was baptized by John. Then, as we'll see in a few weeks when we begin Lent, not too far away, Jesus spent time fasting in the desert to prepare his heart. Then finally, in our passage today, he begins to preach. He begins to live out his purpose, to set out on his journey because of who he is. Jesus begins to cook. So how does he start cooking? Um, Well, kind of in a weird way, by sharing his recipe. In this very first sermon, he tells the people the dish he's cooking and how he's going to get there. He describes the final dish and the steps he's going to take. He gives the full picture ahead of time so that they can understand the steps along the way so they too can read between the lines. He shows them the end goal so that when he heals a leper, it isn't just a story of somebody being made well, but a symbol of God's love for all who have been outcast from society, that he will make all things new. Jesus reads the recipe in full so that we might understand what he is trying to accomplish every step of the way, so that we might be reminded of his purpose, so we can see the full picture of what he's working on. 
So what's he cooking? <laughs> and what are his steps? Like most great recipes, it's actually pretty simple and straightforward. First, he says that he'll bring good news to the poor. Their suffering is temporary and their father loves them. They deserve to be treated as children of God because they are children of God. This is the good news that he will bring. And similarly, Jesus came to give freedom to the captive, sight for the blind, and relief for the oppressed, freedom, wisdom, and justice for the downtrodden. Those cast aside by the world will be the focus of his ministry. Those are his steps. But what do those steps create? What's his ultimate purpose that he's living out? He tells the people listening that his ultimate purpose is to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now that that phrase, that year of the Lord's favor, is a reference to the Jubilee, an event in the Jewish faith that happened every 50 years where all debts were erased and basically everyone was given a completely clean slate. Jesus will elaborate on this more throughout his ministry, but he's for the first time planting the seed of the scale of what he's going to accomplish. This isn't just a 50-year jubilee where your finances are put back in order. He is going to wipe the slate clean of sin, of sickness, of imprisonment, oppression, and everything else that humanity has afflicted upon itself. And he's not just stopping there. He's also restoring our name of beloved. Jesus' clean slate restores us as beloved children of God. That is his masterpiece meal. Before we get on about how we may recreate Jesus' recipe, I want to first reiterate how important it is that Jesus had a recipe to begin with. Sure, there are some people who can grab a bunch of stuff from the cabinets, throw it in a pot, and end up with a delicious meal, but that's not what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't stroll through his life aimlessly. He, again, understood who he was. His identity gave him purpose, and then he lived his life to fulfill that purpose. The circumstances of the world around him did not change or manipulate the life he lived, the purpose for which he lived. He didn't live out the how to be an adult assembly line of the culture of his day where he just goes from step to step because that's what it's expected of him and that's what the culture says that he should do. You all know kind of the general path our culture tries to push on us in America today. You work hard to get the good grades in school so you can get into the best college so that you can get the best career. And then you meet the right person, you get married, you buy the house, you have kids, you get a dog, you (laughs) raise them to do the exact same plan that you did, and then you retire. Thankfully, we seem to be noticing that that blueprint is a little absurd, doesn't ensure a fulfilling life, and definitely does not work for everyone. But even when we recognize the absurdity, it's difficult to escape that treadmill. But Jesus lived differently. He bucked all the expectations people had for him because he knew who he was and he knew his purpose. He knew the final dish and he knew what it would take to get there. If we don't take a moment to remember the big picture, the context of our own lives, who we are, what our purpose is, it's just too easy to get lost in the day-to-day shuffle. It's too easy to mindlessly 
follow the steps of the recipe without thought for the final dish. If we live life that way, we end up with a flavorless, mediocre dinner. We end up having lived, but without purpose, without being who we were created to be. This is something that, frankly, I struggle with a lot. I live in the present. I love routine. I love comfort. Those of you who've taken one of Corey's uh, Enneagram studies, I'm a nine. <laughs> I don't like conflict. I love the even keel. Some people may call it boring. <laughs> I would call it soothing. <laughs> There's enough difficulty in the world already. I like knowing that I need to wake up, shower, take care of the dogs, get my coffee, drive to work, eat lunch, leave work, go to the grocery, cook dinner, then relax with Elon and the dogs. I like that like 75% of my days are just like that. But when that routine sets in, it's hard to take a step back and find that bigger perspective where we remember who we are and why we were created. The routine becomes a recipe without reason. Like Jesus, we must remember who we are and our purpose for living. We must be mindful of the steps that we're taking each day and take, take care that we are building the dish we're supposed to be working toward. So who are you and what purpose does that imbue? Well, thankfully, Adam answered the first one for us last week. Your new name is beloved. That is who you are. You are the children of God, love beyond all measure and without condition. That is your identity. And what are you called to do? Just as we share one, ident one identity as beloved children of God, we also share a purpose linked to that identity. As beloved, our purpose is to love God with all we have and to love others with all we have. We reciprocate the love of the one who named us beloved. And we live in a way that reminds our siblings that they have the same name as we do. How we each do that may look different depending on our life circumstances, our passions, our talents, our skills, and the needs of the immediate world around us. Just how different cooks following the same recipe will need to adjust for their own skill sets in their kitchen, and the ingredients available, the way that we love God and love others will be different from person to person. We'll follow the same general steps, but we'll let the end goal guide us. As we move through our lives, we must ask ourselves those guiding questions that will help us fulfill our purpose each and every day. How will I live as a beloved child of God today? And how will I remind others that they too are beloved? Who we are provides us with our purpose, and we must live it out. Jesus could wake up every day and remember that he was the Messiah, and that guided his path. We can wake up every day and remind ourselves that we are God's beloved and let that guide our path. That means we need to accept his love and love him back to drink from the well that never runs dry, as Pastor Corey reminded us. And then whatever our context, we need to use each day to remind others that they too are loved. That's Jesus's recipe in the simplest form. Remember that you are beloved, reciprocate that love, and remind others that they're beloved as well. 
we still haven't really said what we're cooking though. <laughs> Jesus cooked up the year of the Lord where all things are made new. Um, are, are we doing that too? <laughs> well, yeah, actually, that's one of the incredible things about Jesus is that he asks us to be his sous chefs in a way. He's ultimately done what is needed to make our dish successful, to bring about the year of the Lord's favor, but he wants us to take part in it. It's almost like when mom allows the five-year-old to stir the pot, we're helping, but Jesus has it under control. Jesus has already brought about the year of the Lord's favor. That whole year thing is figurative. We're in it. We're in the place where renewal is possible, where we are reconciled, beloved children of God. Jesus has served up that heaping bowl of jubilee, and we're just helping more and more people taste it. People need to hear that they are beloved. But just like Jesus didn't just tell people they were free, but help them experience it, we need to help them experience the love of God. And when we do, we make that jubilee, that party, that family of beloved of, ch of beloved children just a little bit bigger. That is our purpose. That's the dish we're working on, a world full of people who know their name is beloved. We must make that purpose with which we, we must make that the purpose with which we live our lives each and every day regardless of our circumstances. Jesus read the whole recipe first. He knew who he was and what he was sent to accomplish. So he lived his life with purpose. We know it because he entered his ministry with intentionality. In his very first sermon, he told us what his final dish looked like and the recipe of how to get there. He knew he was going to bring about the year of the Lord for all people. To make that clear, he didn't just talk about it. He brought dignity, justice, freedom, and love to the outcasts and the downtrodden. He let people have a taste. Jesus brought about the day of the Lord because he was driven by his identity as the Son of God, the Messiah. We are not Jesus, but we know who we are. We know we are the beloved children of God, and we're making the same dish. We're helping people find their identity as beloved children. And we're doing that by returning to the well to receive and reciprocate God's love, then going out wherever we are every day to share that love with the world. We can tell people about God's unfailing love and unrelenting grace, but even more importantly, we can show it to them. We can give them a taste of the day, of the, of the year of the Lord. Beloved, remember who you are. Remember you were created with a purpose. So read the recipe and start cooking. Let us pray. Dear God, we are so thankful for this day. We're thankful that each day you give us the opportunity. You give us the opportunity to remember our identity, that we are beloved, that you've chosen to love us no matter what. God, we pray that you would help that reality sink in, that you would help that truth truly become a part of who we believe we are. When we do that, God, when we understand, when we truly 
know that in our hearts, that we are beloved children, God. I pray that you would let that change us. You would change it so that we use each day, like today, to fulfill our purpose that goes along with that identity. God, we pray that you would help us love you back. God, we know when we're filled with your love and with your spirit that we have no choice but to go out and show to others that they too are beloved. We pray that you would give us that perspective to help us see our purpose, to know our recipe, to know what we're working on, and to live each day in a way that builds your kingdom, that builds your family, that helps others see that they too are beloved. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Please join us again next week. In the meantime, you can find us online at orangemethodist.org.